Well, today we're continuing with the financial foundations type vibe that I've been doing at the start of the year. And today we are talking about one of the foundations that I believe everyone needs in their sound financial house, and that is life insurance. Under the banner of life insurance, there's a couple of products and we'll get into that. But I want to use this episode today to refresh your memory about the types of insurance available. I want to use this episode today as a bit of a PSA of the options that you have. We'll talk about underwriting, we'll talk about claims, we'll talk about policy structures. And if you don't have insurance, I want you to reach out to our show partner, Skywealth, and Phil from Skywealth is on the podcast today. I want you to get it this year. I want you to review your cover if you do have some, if you haven't for some time. If you've got default cover in your super fund, I want you to listen up because sometimes, well, I've never seen it to be at an adequate amount. And I just want you to pay attention to this area in your financial life over the coming weeks. My name's Glenn James. My guest today is Phil Thompson from Skywealth. Welcome, Phil. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Are you ready to do a podcast? Let's get rolling. All right, let's do it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Phil, welcome back to the show. We usually do a couple of insurance episodes each year just as a reminder for those who have it on their mental list of things to do or on the back burner. But I think one of the biggest issues out there that people are not aware of is the fact that you can have your superannuation with your insert super fund name here and have quality policies set up by a financial advisor like yourself and the team at Sky and have that money funded from your super. When we talk about insurance in super, yes, there is default cover that most people get when they open their account, but usually that isn't enough or adequate cover. So I just want to dispel that myth that you can get quality cover from an advisor that can be funded from your super and you don't have to worry about doing anything with your superannuation. So Phil, can you walk us through, I guess, how that works structurally? Because a lot of people said, and I even think there's a, a question that we'll read out in the Facebook group where someone was like, can I just call the insurance company direct and get them to fund it from my super and, or do I need to speak to an advisor? So a lot there in my opening statement, but perhaps we can talk about that first and then we'll get into some mental health questions around underwriting. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, I guess later in when we answer that question about can you just call up an insurer and structure it that way, we can we can address it there. But just at a real high level, as a financial advisor, what we can do is we can structure the policy so it's paid by your super fund, but not owned by your super fund. So the big benefit of that is over time, as you go through your working life, you may change super funds. You know, there's there was a big push towards a certain super fund more recently, and you know, there's heaps of super funds closing down and starting up. So people may want to move. So having your insurance not locked in with that one individual super fund is really important in the future if you move, because again, that new super fund that you go to can fund that that insurance policy. So technically, how it works is the in 
insurance company, they set up a super fund on your behalf. Now they've got no intention of investing your money or holding any funds there. They don't want their, you to hold any investment assets there. They do it just for the purpose of getting money from your super fund to pay the premium. So what happens is the money gets what's called rolled over into that quote unquote super fund every 12 months just to pay the premiums. So they just, the insurance company sets up a, a shell of a super fund. Yeah, basically. Yeah, because superannuation can only pay money to another superannuation fund unless it is that individual insurer paying the premiums. And I think that's important because everyone, well, a lot of people might be aware if you move super funds, you do the click, 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 and you click rollover, and it sends the full amount over to your new super fund. But with that insurance policy shell, that super fund, you just elect on the application that we do a partial rollover each year. So we roll over some money from our accumulation fund over to that insurance policy. Yeah, it's really simple. It's called an enduring rollover. So that that insurance policy that's held with the insurance company, let's say it costs you $1,000 a year, Every year, $1,000 will get rolled from your super fund over to the insurance uh, provider's super fund to pay those premiums. And so then if you move super funds, you know, in two years' time, you move all your money across to that new fund, all we need to do to keep paying those premiums is just to sign a new form to say, hey, from insurance or super fund B, pay the money again. Mm, Yeah, and that's really important for portability and, and all that. And we will talk about, the advantages of having a, a policy that's separate, but I want to get right into it. There's a question here from G and it's around exclusions, pre-existing health conditions and mental health related exclusions for income protection insurance. There's a couple of other comments here and there's another one here. I'm not sure that I should bother as mental health means I am probably not eligible. So what I first wanted to do, and then there's there's always uh, comments when we see these type of posts, Phil, and at face value, it does seem like the D word, discrimination. And what I want to just outline, life insurance and income insurance, it's no different than any other type of insurance. So effectively, how insurance works, everyone, even your car insurance, let's use your car insurance. People that have cars, we all agree that we might have a $20,000 car, the insurance company will collect $1,000 off, say, 10 people with a car, or we'll call it 30 people. Let's do that. 30 people with $20,000 cars. We all put $1,000 in a year. The insurance company makes $30,000. And then if one of us needs to claim, statistically, maybe only one will need to do a full claim a year, and then they can pull that $20,000 out of the pool to fund the event. Now, the thing is, that pool with insurance companies and cars, they won't let you insure a car that has hail damage or some dinged up panels because statistically there is 100% chance of a claim. Now, if we kept opening the pool up to all these dinged up cars, what would happen is the insurance company would run out of money and the premiums would go up so high that it wouldn't be worth paying for insurance because people just claim automatically. So that I just want to reference that discussion there, conceptually how an insurance pool works. 
Yeah, and, and also to that discrimination um, point, again, as we all get car insurance when we're young, you know, under age 25, ins- car insurance providers will charge you more because your likelihood of a, a crash uh, is higher than the average population. So, you know, that's, that's discrimination. Age discrimination. <laughs> it, is, it, yeah. it's, it is discrimination because statistically it's proven that on average, People under age 25 will have car crashes more than people above age 25. So that the insurance companies, you know, under legislation, under discrimination uh, legislation, are allowed to discriminate as long as it's backed up by statistics. So they can't just say, hey, you've got uh, red hair, so we're going to charge you more for your car insurance because that's just discrimination against people with red hair. Um, and you're, you're, Phil, you've got a bit of red hair there um, and you're a bit do. crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a bit, I'm a bit of a ranger um, and I'm okay with it. So the, um, as long as it's backed up by statistics, uh, they're allowed to discriminate. So coming back to this point of, you know, mental health, they are allowed to discriminate against people with a history of mental health as long as it's backed up by the statistics on their claims. And it all is about protecting the pool. And if I was someone with a good car paying for premiums, I would be upset if the insurance company were letting people in with damaged cars, knowing that they were already damaged because it's only going to be of a detriment to my funding. Likewise, house catches on fire. You can't call the insurance company with the sirens from the fire brigade in the background. And say, hey, I want a new policy. Yeah, I want a new policy. So it's all about the integrity of the policy. Now, full disclosure, I have a income insurance policy and a disability lump sum policy. And I personally have a mental health exclusion for some of the cover. And just on that, Phil, let's talk about some examples. Perhaps I took out my policy early, my mental health situation at the time, like at the time I would have had depression and anxiety, but I didn't know it. So when they asked me, do you have any mental health issues? I'm like, no, no issues. I just thought, Everyone was sad and, you know, anxious. But then when I got diagnosed, then increased my policy later on, they're like, well, any future cover is going to have an exclusion on mental health conditions. So all that to say, have you got some examples of if someone does some counselling just for well-being or wants to chat about stuff. Like, how is it out there in insurance land with mental health issues across all insurers that you deal with in relation to mental health and exclusions and loadings or probably more just exclusions? Yeah, cool. So, I mean, one, one big important thing I wanted to touch on when it comes to, like, exclusions is just a, a big note is not all insurers have the same assessment. Mm. Um, so, you know, you may have applied through your super fund and gotten declined or gotten an exclusion. Now, that super fund only um, has an application with one insurance company, and they may be really strict on mental health. And so as an advisor, we work with all the insurers in the market. So we know where to place policies based on an individual's health history. So the big note is we there is a really big disparity between assessments per insurer. So when it comes to mental health, and, and also to that point, insurers can also change the goalpost you know, w- w- at whim. So their underwriting guidelines may change. Um, their For re-insurer- good or bad. And yeah, and that's right. So, you know, there is an insurer recently where we did a lot of pre-assessments where we were getting um, no exclusions for mental health. And they've recently just come to us and said, hey, we're actually, our reinsurers 
gotten more strict on our guidelines. So we need to start placing more exclusions on on the people you're introducing to us. So, you know, th- these goalposts can change over time. So in the past, if you got declined or you were likely to get declined, doesn't mean you'll always get declined for cover. And in the, in the past, if you had no exclusions, doesn't mean you'll always get no exclusions, even if your symptoms or treatments don't change. So that's one big thing to note that the goalposts are always moving. And that's why, you know, we'll be in business for a really long time because these things are not simple and they're not static. They do change a lot. So just to touch on kind of the exclusions and kind of, you know, what does that mean and about discrimination? So I think I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent and um, may not be addressing your question exactly, but but I'll kind of touch on like uh, G's point about the, you know, is it worthwhile if I'm getting a mental health exclusion? Mental health is a big part of the claims um, statistically, uh, especially these days. And touching on people's experience, if you go and get an insurance policy and you've previously not gotten any treatment or not understood your symptoms um, of mental health, then you may get a policy without an exclusion, even if you may have undiagnosed depression, anxiety, any mental health treatment. And that may seem unfair. And, and quite frankly, it is unfair for people who are proactive about their mental health treatment. If as soon as they're feeling, you know, a sense of uneasiness or whatever that may be, they go and get counselling and they're really proactive. Unfortunately, in today's insurance market, it is a harsher assessment on those people who are proactive. But the the insurance company, they just have one chance when it comes to life insurance. They have one chance to make an assessment on your health and they've got to honour that contract forever um, or until the policy lapses. So that's why they are quite harsh. And, you know, we hear this all the time. My doctor doesn't think I should get an exclusion. Well, that's because your doctor can do ongoing treatment, can, you know, prescribe medication if they feel like it's needed and to adjust the treatment plan. But an insurance company, they say yes or no today and they've got to honour that all the way up until the, you know, until you're age 65. The other side of the coin as well, like I wouldn't, be able to get insurance anymore and I can't, but they can't take the insurance that I've got from me without Correct. exclusions. So That's right. it swings both ways. And I would really just encourage anyone who might feel deterred to get personal income insurance if they are going through a mental health treatment plan, I would say I would still rather you have some cover in force if you had a bad accident, if you had another health event, cancer or any other major medical issue that could keep you from working. Correct. I still think it's worth having a policy. Oh, it's hugely worth it. Like, I mean, yes, mental health makes up a big portion of claims for income protection and disability, but it doesn't make up more than 75% of claims. So to say that, no, I won't get insurance or personal insurance because I'll get a mental health exclusion, well, you're not covering everything else that will be covered. And two of the four policies that we look at get mental health exclusions. The other two, they don't have a mental health exclusion. So only 50% of the actual policies that, that we would look at for someone will have a mental health you know, impact. And I, I really want to encourage you that you've just got to sort this stuff out while you are in your current state. And if you did get an exclusion, and I'll make a, an exclusion up, I rolled my ankle at soccer I've been doing some physio during the process. They might say, oh, okay, we've put a left ankle exclusion on the income cover, but we're happy to review that in 12 months' time if there is no actual issues and you don't need surgery. So policies can always be reviewed 
and exclusions removed. Yeah, and that's a big part of what we do in our business is we we always, I mean, we, we make an initial assessment for the client and says, you know, what do we think is the most appropriate insurer based on your medical history? Because one insurer may say one exclusion, everyone else, another may say we're declining the cover and another one may say two exclusion. So, we, you know, we pref- prefer the one with one exclusion. But then once we do an application and we get it in place, a big part of what we do is we go to the insurer and the underwriter and say, what length of time where there's no treatment or symptoms of this condition do you believe that this this is reviewable? And the underwriter will often give us a, a reasonable time frame depending on the condition. If we go and step back before we get into some questions, when do you think someone needs to sort out their insurance? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm a big believer in getting it as early as possible. And then you can always increase later and decrease later if and when needed. And so once you, there, there are really three major life events where it should be a big trigger to make sure you're getting insurance sorted out and or reviewing it. Number one, when you're working full time. So if you've got an income and you're relying on that income to um, survive or have you know, wealth growth plans, then you need to insure that income. And so, you know, if you have just got your first full-time job, you're still living at home, still relying on, on your parents, maybe it's not as necessary. I still think it, it's important because you don't want to be relying on mum and dad forever. But that's a big trigger point when you get your first full-time job. The other big trigger point is getting a home loan. People get really excited about getting a home loan and moving into their first place or getting an investment property. But now you've got half a million dollar mortgage or $300,000 mortgage, a big debt. Uh, that your cover within super Jeez, won't. Jeez, $300,000 mortgage would be nice for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be very nice. Um, but but even regardless of the size, it's still yeah. going to be massive for your current mm. situation when you first get your first mortgage. So mm. that's a really big trigger point. And the other one is starting a family. It's massively important when you start a family to make sure you've got enough cover for if someone's taking time out of the workforce, it's really important that they've got enough cover and if someone's still working during that time, it's super important that, that we're covering their income and, and their life. So what are the types of insurance that you recommend when you sit down with a, a client over Zoom anywhere in Australia? Yeah, so there's five, there's five types of insurance, four for the individual and yep. one for the child. So um, we've got income protection, which covers a percentage of your income if you can't work. So if you can't work for health reasons, illness, if you get made redundant or you quit your job, you don't get paid anything. But if you can't work for health um, reasons, then they'll pay you a monthly payment until you're back at work or until your benefit period ends. So that's kind of the most important one. And how long is the benefit period usually for the income replacement? Yeah, so if you've got it through your super fund and you haven't looked at it, but you do have it there, it'll most likely be a two-year benefit period. So you'll get paid every month and then it stops after two years. And what so happens after that? <laughs> uh, on the street? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the technical term is you're stuffed. Um, so sometimes it's a five-year benefit period or you can get until age 65. So for really young people, super important to get an age 65 benefit period. The next one is life insurance. Super simple. If, you're, if you pass away, then a lump sum gets paid out to your dependents. Now, one thing for one of my really close friends, we just paid out a, a terminal illness benefit, which is just that life insurance paid before the person passes away if they're terminally ill. So if they're unlikely to live past 24 months for this insurer, um, we can get that paid out early. The 
The third one is total permanent disability. So if you can never work again, so you're totally and permanently disabled. And so that's a lump sum payment. That's just a once-off payment uh, that gets paid out. And then the last one for the individual is trauma insurance. And that's super important. So that's for things like cancer, heart attacks, strokes, a whole number of conditions it'll pay out on. The most common one is cancer. I don't think you can go too far without knowing someone who's been impacted by cancer, either friends or family. Well, last time we caught up uh, and did an episode, we shared a testimony of my friend Ainsley who had a, a full trauma claim because of a melanoma. Mm. and she's under 40, you know, at the time. So it's just, we just need to sort this stuff out, put it to bed and get on with our life, factor it into our budget. I mean, one of my, one of my close friends found out he had pancreatic cancer at the start of last year, and he was, he's 42, two young boys, like he goes to the gym four or five days a week, eats healthy, like there was nothing in his lifestyle that would have ever predicted pancreatic cancer. And he's, you know, he's days away from passing away now. And he had trauma insurance, he had income protection, he had life insurance. So it's like incredibly impactful. And I've spent a lot of time with him over the last few weeks uh, when he when he got his terminal um, kind of diagnosis where they weren't going to do any more treatment and gave him weeks to live. And, and it was, there's so many emotions going on for him and his family. And um, a really important thing for him was making sure that terminal illness payment got paid out before he passed away just so he knew that his mortgage was cleared off. He knew, like he knew that it would have been paid out. He understands insurance well enough to know that even if it was paid after he passed away, it still would have been paid out. Um, but it was just so important for him to know that his wife had the money to, to continue to look after the boys. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Like the other side, when I was, you know, went to a funeral of, you know, two days before Christmas last year with someone 30 years old who passed away from cancer. And he left a wife and a child without life insurance. And it's just heartbreaking. So as long as I've got this microphone and as long as people are having debt and dependence, I'll be talking about making sure you get life insurance because Phil and I in our professional capacity and also in personal capacity, like we've just seen this stuff. So yeah, bit of a PSA. What do you reckon, like in terms of your process if someone came to your business, because I just want to talk structurally about how they do this, they have a 15-minute chat with one of your advisors and someone could talk and just, would they just walk them through the process? What's the process look like at Sky Wealth? Yeah, so the purpose of the 15-minute chat is just to answer any any overarching questions. So some of the questions we can't answer is how much of my premium is going to be? We've got no idea until we ask a whole bunch of questions of you and then go to the insurers. As I said, one insurer may give you what's called standard rates, so no exclusions or loadings, and another one may decline it. So we want to make sure we're not putting the cheapest premium in front of you if you're going to get declined. So we can't answer how how much my premium is going to be, but we can answer questions about like just insurance in general, Um, any questions you may have about that. And then we talk about our process, kind of what it looks like, step people through when they start the process, which is um, after that 15-minute phone call, if they want us to prepare an insurance proposal, um, which is reviewing any cover they have through their super fund, we'll review any, any insurance cover they have in terms of personal insurance cover and make sure it is appropriate to maintain it or if it's worthwhile increasing it because it's really affordable cover or if it's appropriate to replace it, that cover. 
and we'll make that recommendation after all our research. Our, our core belief at Sky is to make sure we keep our advice really simple and make sure we keep it affordable. And so as a part of our job, we want to make sure we're doing it properly. So we ask heaps of medical questions up front and it takes us longer than the average advice firm. If you're just getting a quote, our process will be much longer because we, we strongly believe in placing the client with the insurer based on the health history. And so we'll go through that. We, we prepare that proposal and then we, we meet, you know, individual client or, or the couple um, to go through the insurance proposal. And we do charge a fee for that proposal. And so that's at a cost. And then after that proposal, people may just decide, thanks for that info. We're, we're happy with everything we've got and we don't want to take out any cover. Or they may choose to go ahead with an application. And so people choose not to go ahead. There's no other cost. If they go ahead, then we help walk them through that application process. So if someone had default cover in their superannuation, say we'll just call it 200,000 death or disability cover, two grand a month income protection, why wouldn't you just say to the customer, just call your super fund to get a price to increase it? Well, well, sometimes we do. We tell them right. to go and increase it through your super fund. Um, but do you but, tell them how much buy? Yeah, we, we yeah we do in the bit. proposal. Yeah, we'll we'll kind of explain our philosophy in the level of mm. cover. Yeah, um, and we will do a, a market comparison. So there are lots of downsides with getting increasing your cover within your super fund. As I said, you're locked to that super fund. The terms and conditions of that policy can change, but there are still some cases where we will say hey, to go anywhere else, it's going to cost you twice as much. So increase increase your cover where you are. That's very rare. It's probably one in every 100 clients will tell that to because to be perfectly honest, most of the time it's really expensive to increase through your super fund. Yeah, because I remember you showing me a slide and there was categorical examples where it was cheaper to get your team to set up a policy in its own super fund with, you know, external uh, enduring rollover, you know, more appropriate and comprehensive policy than just increasing through the super fund and then the policy's trapped in there anyway. So, you know, you're paying double, you can't move the policy and they may change the terms every three years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it happens majority of the time. So, um, most of the time you can go with the same insurance company, so the same underlying insurer, it's the same money who's paying you a claim, same people assessing that claim. You can get a policy through a financial advisor with the same underlying insurer at a cheaper price uh, than increasing through your super fund. Why is that? Because they've just got a price group insurance for automatic acceptance levels or... Yeah, I mean, every every insurer, every group, the super funds will like, they insure that group. So someone like CBUS, that's a really good example. They, as a group, you would expect there's a higher claims rate because they're, you know, insuring like car builders, builders, yeah. builders like so, the, so they've got a generally a higher risk profile within that group. So the underlying insurer will charge a higher premium because of that group is as higher risk. But when you go direct, even if you are a builder and you go direct with that same underlying insurer, you can quite often get a better price because they're assessing you as an individual and pricing you as an individual. So that's why sometimes the group can be can be you know more expensive. 
The other thing is also a lot of people think, well, there's a massive group so we can kind of build in the cost. At the end of the day, insurance is insurance. Like if, if an individual claims, it still impacts the group. It's all a pooled product. So often, yeah, it, it can just be more expensive. And I'll give you my personal opinion and, and it's not backed up by any facts whatsoever. But my view is I feel like insurers will come into the market with a, with a super fund and underprice the default cover. Because when people are shopping around for super funds, they'll look at the cost of that default insurance. And so they underprice that default cover and overprice that increased level of cover. Now, I can show you plenty of evidence why on a percentage basis it goes up a significant amount, but I've never spoken to a super fund and, or an insurance company and they've categorically told me that's what it is. But so in our business, I'll, I'll give you... I'll, give you plenty of examples as to what's going on. In our business, anytime we replace an insurance policy, I get notification because I want to look at that advice. I want to make sure if we're ever replacing a policy that we are placing in the client in a better position always. And that's our legal obligation. So as a part of- Why do you check? Is it just so there's been a second advisor looking at the advice? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, We just want to make sure that we are always double checking that we're doing the right thing by the client because at the end of the day, we get paid a commission to put policies in place. So we want to make sure that there is, there's always going to be an intrinsic bias with the work that we do. So we want to make sure that there is just two sets of eyes. And to be perfectly honest, it's the highest risk in our business is if we accidentally cancel a policy we shouldn't have. So I'm looking at all these advice documents or insurance proposals, we call them, where we're replacing cover and I look straight to that cost comparison because we show we show everyone that cost comparison. And I'll always look at what we could get through the super fund versus what we are getting. And it's it's like 95% of the time, it's cheaper to, to go through an external insurance provider than increasing. And that is external insurance provider through an advisor because there's really three pools of insurance product in the insurance, each insurance company. There's the group super one, there's the direct stuff that you see on the television and on online and where customers can call direct and then there is the advised insurance yeah we we compare the advised insurance yep so that's all cool we'll take a quick break then we'll come back and just smash out your questions right after this if you're after personal financial advice don't get it from a podcast if you would like help based on your own personal situation head over to sortyourmoneyout.com click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors our panel of advisors mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over australia so they can connect with you wherever you are that's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Radio, we are back answering your questions. And just before we do, just a bit of housekeeping for the episode. The Sort Your Property Out book is now available for purchase. It's coming out any second now. I've seen the printed copy. It is printed. Giddy up, baby. Sortyourpropertyout.com or there's a link in the show notes. That's by John Pigeon. And if you do want to sign up to our email list, once a fortnight, I send an email. I write a letter just to keep you know, stuff that I've been thinking about. And we let you know what's happening in the community, any digital workshops that will start again later in the year. And it's just another way if you are a reader and you like reading stuff, our email, there's a link in the show notes. And finally, our book club, you can, um, there's a link in the show notes. We're just reading a book a month and we're going to discuss the book in the Facebook group at the end of each month. So this month of January is The Psychology of Money. If you still want to grab a copy, there's a link in the show notes and uh, you can buy that direct from our links via Booktopia and Amazon. If you use our links, we get, I think, 10 cents per sale. So there's affiliate marketing for you. Oh, mate, printing money off affiliate marketing. Yeah, everyone, if if you see that stuff online, it's like, make money by affiliate marketing. Hey, we've got a huge audience. It's huge. I reckon I get about $30 a month. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's almost like just be as a sidebar, don't get sucked into these online businesses, affiliate marketing, making 30 grand a month and all that because you need hundreds of thousands of people going through your website. Trust me, I've tried. Okay, back to some questions. What do I want to probably do, Phil? Were there any questions that jumped out at you that you want to talk about? Yeah, so I've got one from Leanne. So yep. single person with children, Actually, just got a quote from Sky. So, first of all, Leanne, thanks for coming to us. Uh, Looking at around $240 per month with already doing a 90-day waiting period on all of them, is there any way to decipher what's most important one to have? And then Natasha also said, yep, same boat, looking at potentially saving money. So, my recommendation is to reach out to the advisor who you had a chat with. So, As advisors, we will talk about so many of the levers you can reduce the cost for. Now, at the end of the day, we never pay your premiums, never will. And so it's not our job to say it's either all of this or nothing. It's just a matter of determining, well, what's most important and where do you want to save money? Because we can talk about if your preference is to save money from cash flow, which based on that question, it may be. Well, there's different kind of levers to pull and things you may want to reduce or change on the on the policy. Or if your desire is to save money from your superannuation payments, again, there's different kind of things that we would probably suggest and talk to you through. Or if it's just an overall too expensive, let's bring it all down. Great. Cool. Let's let's have a chat about that. So as advisors, we we kind of don't really mind with whatever you choose. As long as it's an informed and educated decision, then we basically you know, leave it up to the individual to go ahead with whatever policy you decide. I'm so far out of the game uh, in terms of financial advice land now. It's not funny. Uh, in fact, Phil and I were at an awards night at the end of last year and Phil, your business won some awards. Congratulations. Thank you. And an advisor came up to me who I'd known for a while and she's like, oh yeah, love listening to your podcast. You're a bit rusty on some of the stuff. You're a bit out of touch. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm <laughs> no, not in honest. the game anymore. Yeah, uh, but I would probably be saying this from a a friend or concerned family member. If you had to triage the types of cover to really just, if costs were everything and maximising cover and costs, I would be looking at death cover, 
only through your super fund. Make sure there's a mortgage cleared and if you die, some money for your child to get through to 18. Number two is income insurance. Because if you're if you can't work, where's food going to come from? People might say, "Well, what about income insurance and not death cover?" Well, death cover is the cheapest of the cover. It's funded through your super, pay it, get on with your life. Uh, because if you were to die, that's final. But if you couldn't work, there may be some government benefits that you could get. There could be some NDIS. There could be some help. It's not going to be easy without income insurance. So that's kind of the two priorities. Uh, If you were single without kids, income insurance first, then total and permanent disability and trauma. Like, do you have a view on that? Uh, I have a um, very strong view and it depends on the, and again, this is why I say reach out to the advisor because it does depend on your situation. So if you've got kids, there's one, you know, opinion I'll have. If you're single without kids, there's another. I personally am a big believer in trauma insurance. So most claims on insurance outside of income protection. As I said, one of my really close friends just, you know, has pancreatic cancer and is about to pass away any, any kind of day now. And so it, 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 trauma insurance is super important. So my viewpoint is actually less of take insurance one, two, and four, and more about how do we get to that level and just reduce all the covers. So I, again, I don't know what um, Leanna's you know, numbers were, um, but let's say we recommended $1.5 million of life and 150K of trauma. Okay, well, maybe let's bring it down to a million of life and, you know, 75,000 of trauma. So that's the beautiful thing about insurance. It's not a all or nothing. It's a take it all, reduce the covers or nothing. Um, so I personally would like to look at reducing all the covers down slightly to, to get that balance. But if we can't get to the numbers we need to in terms of premium affordability, then sure, we're starting to look at taking out some covers. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what you're comfortable doing. Like we want to have some cover in place, outsource some risk, but not spend all our money on insurance. And whether that is, and you're right, like it goes back to the situation. Like if you were a family, you know, a single parent of three kids, well, that high amount of death cover is probably more important than not. I don't know. So it's just, it's so unique. And I think your point there, Phil, is yeah, don't stress, just go through the process and then you can tweak some numbers and get some alternatives. Yeah, and, and as I said, have a chat to the advisor because at the end of the day, I can I could be very candid. As advisors, our advisors aren't, you know, paid a bonus on, on how much revenue they generate. They personally couldn't care less whether you take out all the cover or not because they don't they don't personally benefit from it. Oh, so all your advisors are just fixed salary? Yeah, they're, and, they're all salary. And we, so we've, if they, got, we've got a company-wide bonus. Um, yeah, but not if an individual advisor is just like selling fries to everyone that they don't need the fries, they're not like – There's just no, doesn't ben- happen there's no individual benefit from them. Yeah, okay. Um, well, that's healthy, I think, to do. Cor- yeah, correct. And we, we, stru- we purposely structure it that way. So there is – there's always going to be an inherent conflict, but as we try and minimise that conflict as much as possible. So at the end of the day, and, and we don't really have like conversion rate, you know, tracking and measurements and anything like that. So at the end of the day, if someone doesn't go ahead with it, the individual advisor that they're talking to, it's really not going to, you know, cause any stress for that individual advisor at all. So then they're not, so that's why I say reach out, have a chat, because it's not a matter of they're going to try and sell you everything. We have a legal obligation to make sure you're protected 
correctly. And so our advice maybe costs more than you want to spend. And that's okay because we are basically going to you know, get raked over the coals if we underinsure you as, as a professional advisor. So that's why sometimes, you know, if your budget is $100 per month, but we've recommended $240 per month, the advisor will then work with you to, to get to that number you're comfortable with. Matthew said, at what stage don't you need it? Dependents have left home, mortgage paid off. I mean, that's an interesting question because at what stage do you need what? Uh, I would probably hypothesize if you don't have debt or dependents, there's probably not a need for death cover. But you know, there's a lot of people that are 55 years old who might be working for another 10 years that still have expenses. You would hypothesize that income protection still needs to be in place. Do you have a view on that one? Yeah, I mean, my view is like if you are, you know, the big, the fire movement's really, really popular these days. If you're literally retired, you could be 40 years old, retired because your assets are going to pay you, you know, schooling dollars over the next, you know, until you pass away. Happy days. What is the need for insurance? If you're building up to get to that fire number that you're comfortable with, well, then you need insurance because because you're reliant on that income to, to get to that stage. So it's really about do you have a reliance on your income or you know, do you have debt that you'd, you'd want cleared if you pass away? That's really when you need it. But if you don't have those two needs, then, yeah, you can get rid of it. Mm. But statistically speaking, we're in more and more debt the older we are as Australians yeah. historically. So it's a higher need than it ever has been. There's a question here from Tyson, and we touched on it before, for TPD slash income protection, should I just do it myself or is it beneficial to contact a broker? I really don't want to have to pay additional money to someone to organise these insurances when I could just contact Tal Insurance online or over the phone. Yeah, so the good thing, so I will talk about some products now, don't go and do anything based on the companies I tell you. So there are two insurers who will provide like good quality insurance going direct, um, which Whitetail is one of them. So it's just, it's essentially the same product that that us as advisors can set up. Now, the only thing that they won't allow you to do is, as we talked about at the top of the show, is they, they won't set it up so your super fund can fund a lot of the premiums. And that's actually really important when it comes to like tax deductibility of the premiums. So your life and disability insurance can be funded from super and your super fund claims a tax deduction. So going direct to TAU means that you can't have that structure. Um, they actually, to be honest, they actually make it a little bit harder to get an age 65 benefit period income protection policy. You can't actually quote that online. You've got to go and go through a whole a few other hoops to get that type of policy. So they do restrict it uh, in some ways, um, but you can get very similar policy. It's just structured in not as optimal way. There's no, I can, there'd be some very unique circumstances where you'd want to have death cover not funded and paid for by superannuation. I don't, I can't see of any reason why it makes sense. The, I mean, I won't geek out too much. But like, I mean, TPD through super, there is there is tax on getting that out, but again, very nuanced. And and that is a portion of premium that's taxable, tax deductible anyway. So, I mean, I if the, the only thing is, and that scenario, going through TAO Direct or going through a financial advisor to set up TAO, the premiums are going to be the same. So the advisor is getting paid a commission that TAO's retaining. They're not giving you a discount. There's no kind of like necessary any any benefit. 
The other thing is, is Tau the cheapest option for you or the best in terms of most appropriate terms? Like are they providing the least Well, in terms of your health, your hobbies, pre-existing conditions. And so theoretically, yeah, you can. There's two companies that, that, that you can. There are other companies that have retail insurance options but their direct cover is significantly worse than what their retail offering is. Yeah. So whatever you do, don't go to websites like iSelect for your life and income insurance. They're just, the policies are not as good as what you can get from an advisor. And I'm not going to ever talk on this podcast about getting direct insurance because I've seen claims not get paid. I've seen heartache. I've seen issues. So just pay the fee with Phil's business. And if you think I'm here selling insurance today, I am. And I make no apologies about it because you need to get this stuff sorted. And you went to a funeral of a 30-year-old with no life insurance. Totally. And I'm literally, last Friday night, went out for dinner with a friend I haven't seen for a while, end of last year, got the flu, under 50 years old, healthy, amputated both legs and both arms. And I said, have you got default have you got super goes you got a little bit and there's not much total and permanent disability insurance and i'm helping doing the claim yeah like 120 so i mean i just see this like sorry like it'd be like 126,000 of disability yeah that's all it is that's all it is yeah like and i'm helping doing the claim and i'm just i see this stuff in my life because i help people do it and too many people i know go through events and they don't have adequate insurance so yes i am selling insurance here today and I don't apologize for that. Let's have a look at another question. Here's one from Beck. How much TPD is reasonable to get? Should you insure yourself or more or more or less as you age? So what's your type of view? Let's do a scenario. We'll assume Beck is a single professional, 32 years old, okay? She's got a mortgage, $600,000, 100 grand income. What type of level of TPD cover would someone in that profile, you know, receive as a recommendation? Yeah. So, I mean, theoretically, the way we look at TPD is your, we want to replace your income fully with TPD. So, if you're totally and permanently disabled, you're never returning to work again. So, the way we think about it as Sky is if you have a financial like trajectory and then a TPD event happens, we want you to keep tracking along that same financial trajectory. So that's the level of cover we think about. Now, you know, when we talk about premiums, if you are happy to save money on premiums, therefore you're happy to go on a, a, you know, quote unquote worse financial trajectory after the TPD event, then we have less cover. So that's kind of the way we think about it. And TPD, we group together with income protection because you'll almost certainly get paid out on both if you've got retail cover. If you've got default cover, let's not talk about that. But so so we think about- No, we will talk about that. Okay, okay, we can. But in terms of the level of cover, we want to clear the mortgage because if you're totally permanently disabled, you, you won't be able to get any more money from a bank. They will never give you money if you're on income protection claim. So it's going to be very difficult to get any debt. So we want to clear that mortgage and we want to replace your income. Now, does that mean 100K times 30 years? We don't do that because income protection will carry most of that load. So if you've got income protection, you're getting replaced 70%. Well, there's only a small gap that we need to replace the difference on. So that's the way we think about disability and a little bit for medical expenses. So 
So we do cover a small amount for medical costs. Now, we don't know what the TBD event's going to be, so we don't know if it's going to be a huge amount that's needed for medical costs, replacing you know, things at the house and replacing cars, or if it's going to be like a mental health claim that you know, statistically doesn't cost a significant amount ongoing other than the loss of income. So we do cover a small amount for medical costs. So you know, just to recap, we want to cover that gap in income, we want to cover that mortgage, and a little bit for medical expenses. I think, for example, our persona that I said, you know, early 30s, single professional, if they did, for example, have an inheritance and have 200,000 share portfolio, well, that amount we can consider as an existing asset. So if the analysis said, oh, you need, you know, $930,000 of insurance, so there's the need, less existing assets equals unless a little bit of TBD tax equals this is how much we think you need a policy for. Is that generally how you would do it? Yeah, correct. Look at the we, need, less assets. Yeah, we personally don't look at assets to use because we want you to st- stay on that same financial trajectory. So using those assets means that you're going to be worse off. But again, coming back to that original point, if you're happy to be financially worse off, then we can factor in those assets. And to be perfectly honest... Almost none of our clients have several hundred thousand dollars just sitting there yeah, ready to be towards the TBD event. But I, yeah, and I'm probably, you know, back a million years ago in my day, if people had, you know, an investment property that was paid off, for example, that asset is producing income. Correct. But So, I mean, but this all goes back to this why it's so unique and personal. Yeah. And, and it needs to be tailored. And the, and the way we think about it is we will just talk about our philosophy and the way we mm. think about it. And we want to mm. educate and empower clients to come up with the number that they're comfortable with. I was going to say, at the end of the day, the number that we come up with is all like theoretical. It's really, we've got to balance that between the, mm. the level of cover and the cost and the features of benefit. Yeah. That's what I was kind of like, you pay a proposal fee with your office. You guys will have a pre-assessment ask some medical questions, send it out to most insurers because most of us have medical chat. And then based on that, you'll say, we believe this insurer C is most appropriate for you because, you know, if you've got uncontrolled high cholesterol, they've got the lower loading and we believe this insurer and we believe this amount based on your situation. So what your insurance proposal is getting people to is likely the most appropriate insurance likely the most appropriate product, likely the most appropriate provider. And then the levels of cover versus premium, well, that's a discussion and a talking point, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's just this big filter, isn't it? Like go through the process, spit out the results and let's chat about that then. Correct. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll say, hey, we're expecting A, B and C exclusion. And then down the bottom of the document, we show you all the different options that we've, we've been you know, shown. And then the second thing we look at is the numbers. Theoretically, this is the numbers that we think you should be insured for. And then the next is the cost. Really, that's kind of the most important thing when it comes to the insurance. But but also the structure as well. Like we want things structured in the most tax effective manner. Correct. Yeah. We. we I mean, it, insurance is complicated enough. We try not to talk about like the structure of it. But most people understand that life TPD paid through super. It's it's, it's a structuring thing because it's most tax effective. But it's also saves my bank account paying these premiums as well. So that's kind of like, you know, that's kind of the default. That's the way we try and make it tax effective. 
Oh, let's let's talk about Amy asks, a refresher on stepped first level premiums would be good and the pros and cons. Also, and what's a good rule of thumb when you can consider yourself self-insured or when to think about reducing your cover to balance out the premium cost? So I'll let you answer the stepped level. I think it comes down to the self-insurance thing, right? Actually, I'll share an analogy. On the weekend, may have purchased a car, little runaround. May have been secondhand Honda, may have been $17,000. Now, I've got more, more, more than $17,000 in my bank account, right? But I'm still paying comprehensive insurance because I just want to transfer that risk. So on paper, I can self-insure that Honda. I'll get third-party damage. You know, if I hit something, there's unlimited liability. But in terms of my maximum liability, in terms of the loss of the asset being $17,000, I'll outsource that risk for $1,000 a year. Now, back to the life insurance and disability insurance. If, for example, you paid off your house, you had the $800,000 in super, if your income stopped tomorrow, where would the money come from? And if the answer is, well, my assets, clearly, I've got lots of them and I don't have any debt, probably don't need insurance. I would, though, temper those comments and you might say, well, you know what? I'm still going to hold a $150,000 trauma payment because if I do get cancer or have anything hectic go on, I've got a policy there that I don't have to liquidate some assets and it's just a bit of a comfort thing. And there's, gosh, there's actually no right or wrong answer. Like the the insurance spectrum is like one end, I pay for the premium option, all the options, all the boxes when I do my quote, I'll pay for it. Awesome. The other end is I'm against insurance whatsoever. I take the risks, don't care. And if that's you and you got kids, shame on you. But if you don't have kids, don't whinge if you can't work and you don't have insurance because you opted not to. Or the middle, as we've talked about, well, okay. What do we need? Let's make a judgment call. That's right. And I mean, that's the thing I learned pretty early on when doing a lot of these insurance recommendations. Sometimes it was really expensive. And, you know, as an advisor, we try and make that balance and that assessment on our client's behalf. But my viewpoint may be different and our client, well, it will be different because we're all different. And so sometimes in the past, I, I, you know, dialed things back and reduce the cost for cover because some clients, you know, may have been hesitant going ahead because it was too expensive based on my own personal view. And then clients would come to me and say, well, no, I don't want a 90-day waiting period. I want a 30-day waiting period and I'm happy for it to jump up an extra two grand. And in my mind, I was like, well, that was a great trade-off. I saved you two grand a year. But for, for those clients, they that was really important to them. So I learned pretty quickly that, hey, don't bring my own viewpoint into the scenario, just try and be very balanced and have a viewpoint that these numbers can change. We can adjust stuff when we need to because when can you self-insure? Like I'm, I personally have like two and a half million dollars worth of life cover and it literally cost me two and a half grand a year. Like is that valuable? And I'm, I can't self-insure today, but let's assume I could. I'd still pay two and a half grand for that money so Kate can just have it if I pass away. Like I would still make that value judgment. Now, when those premiums become 10 grand a year, 20 grand a year, okay, we're having a different conversation about whether it's valuable to keep or not. So it's very different for each individual what you know when they can self-insure or not. 
Talk to us about stepped and level. Yeah, so they're two premium options. Most insurer, if you're going direct or if you're going through Superfund, it's generally only going to be stepped, so it will increase as you get older. The level premiums, what that means is you pay a higher premium today, but it doesn't increase simply because you're getting older. Now, it doesn't mean it's locked in at that rate forever. So it means when you go from, you know, for me, 37 to 38, um, a level policy will stay the same if my level of cover is the same and the insurance provider hasn't increased the, the cost. But Yeah, all my policies are on level and, yeah, I get increases, but I just know it's never increasing year on year because of my age. Yeah, so there's two reasons a level policy can increase. And for a step policy, there's three reasons. So that, that third reason I just talked about, you're getting older, so a step policy, if I go from 37 years old to 38, I'll always get a price rise. The other two reasons insurance companies can increase the price is if they do what's called a re-rate. So at their whole business, they decide that, hey, we need to increase premiums for everyone because the claims are too much. So they'll increase premiums for everyone uh, in, that, in that pool. Now that can happen with a level. The other reason is if your level of cover goes up. So if you, you know, want to increase your cover, you're getting more cover, you need to pay higher premiums. The other thing is there can be like, like inflation protection. So my income is much higher than it was 10 years ago. So I want my income protection to also increase as well. So that's called like either indexation or inflation protection. And you can turn that off on the lump sum cover. Or you can turn it off on all, but you would leave it on the income one, if anything. Correct. And there's like, you know, the last year, a lot of people's cover went up by 5 to 7%. So a lot of people were declining that indexation increase because it, it, it'll go up generally by CPI. Yeah, it's, um, it's a wild one. When or what do you do if medically you're uninsurable? So you might have a, um, oh, I've got a cousin, he's got a kidney issue, he's fine, he's on meds, but he could never get insurance. Actually, I think we got him death cover with a loading and maybe we can talk about loadings. Uh, but what do we do if there's a medical issue? I would definitely go and speak to a financial advisor because as I said, if you went to your super fund, you get declined because medically they're not going to insure you. Doesn't mean everyone's not going to insure you. Um, so okay. there's that. There are other- what happens when we get to you? When you come to us and we tell you you're staffed, then then you're probably going to be staffed. Um, So there there is a policy called accident only. It's it's definitely not your preferred option. Um, It's only if we can't get any cover, then you can get paid out if you have an accident. The other thing is life insurance. There are lots and lots of conditions that life insurance will, will cover you for. So they will just charge you a loading, a higher premium to take out that cover. Um, but they may decline everything else. And again, these things are changing all the time. I had a, a chat with one of the major insurers, like CEO the other day, and they're talking about how do they formulate a product to cover people with like really significant uh, health issues. And so they're, t- you know, insurers are trying to innovate. Just charge more. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there, there are options I think are, are there, but, but they're wanting to maybe segregate that product. So there are innovations happening. And so, as I said, just because you got a, a, an outcome five years ago, maybe different today. Yeah. And that's it. Like it cuts both ways. So I recently, when you set up that policy for John Pigeon last year, so I've got a death policy that John Pigeon owns. So if I die, he's receives money because, you know, the podcast and my business is so 
instrumental in John's business generating. Key person dependent on yours truly. Uh, I had to pay a loading on the death cover. So we would get cover, but they're like, Glenn, you're tick a few boxes here that we're not comfortable with. And I think there was a 50% loading. So I had to pay 50% more than the rack rate. So it goes back to full circle at the start of the conversation. The insurance pool, because of the extra risk that I carry, I have to pay more so the pool isn't put at risk. So I'm paying in more because the chances of claiming are slightly more. But I guess it gets to a tipping point where if, you know, I've got a terminal issue where there's no insurer in the world that would charge a, a loading because it's yeah, you know, and this just is a I mean this is one of the limitations in Australia where where they will if they've got to place too many exclusions or too many loadings they'll decline. Like New Zealand actually just found this out the other day. New Zealand, you know, insurance is like a community product, so the insurer can have like ten exclusions on the policy and can load it like eight hundred percent. So because they have to be able to offer the cover in some form. It may be completely limited, um, but that, but legally they have to be able to offer it. So that's why it is, it's good that they kind of decline in some ways, but it's also, it would be nice to have extremely limited cover. That's just options, yeah. I mean, the biggest loading I've done in Australia was 200%. I think, I think I've seen a 350. Yeah, you can, yeah, I mean, rules change all the time. I think you can come well, and I think 300%, as long as there's yeah. nothing else. I mean, it's all. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say, everyone's unique situation is different. And just because you read someone's comment in the Facebook group saying, I was declined, don't bother, or I got a mental health exclusion, don't bother. No, no one knows all your personal details. Like the same as a mortgage broker, they will look at your situation and Phil's team at Sky, they'll present you the options. And one of the reasons Phil is a partner, a show partner of this podcast and I support him and the team at Sky is because they will educate you enough to make your own decision. I'm not putting foxes in hen houses around here, unless it's my fox in my hen house, if you know what I mean. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know what, what I mean. mean. I don't um, I want to know what you mean. Am I encouraging you to get insurance? Yes. Am I encouraging you, last thing before we finish, to review your cover Yes. Now, Phil, why is life insurance slightly different than our car insurance or our health insurance where we might review or change and chop and change insurers every year or two? Yeah. Like what do we do when we review life insurance? Yeah, I mean, there was a question from Daniel, I think, about how do we avoid the loyalty tax? Um, and there is a loyalty tax with all insurance, um, with all financial services products. Really, there's a loyalty even tax. life cover. Uh, well, life cover. It's there. Well, like life insurance. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there. I mean, I can. We can spend another hour as to why I, mm-hmm. I'm grumpy yeah, okay. insurers about it. But there is still okay. some sort of a loyalty. Are you going to be a grumpy old man? I'm already a grumpy old man. I'm 37 you and are. I'm grumpy. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I gosh, was whinging today really. to the whole team about, anyway, some stuff. I'll whinge to you later about Hey, it. everyone, I know this is coming out while the Australian Open's on. I took Phil to the Australian Open last year and, you know, took him out on a date. We had a bro date, went to the Open. I was even a semi-final. Guess what? This year, no invite from Phil. Okay, can we just flesh out? You spent two grand on two tickets. And it was like but I wanted a, to treat you. It was like an hour and a half game because Djokovic just destroyed his opponent. <laughs> okay, move along. Um, so the loyalty tax is there. The the reason why life income protection TPD it doesn't make sense to kind of be a new customer all the time is because the difference is it's 
Every time you assess, they'll reassess your health history. And anyone who's gone through an insurance application, a life insurance application, it can be a really painful process in terms of it can be time consuming because the insurer will want to know how much of a special butterfly you are individually and make an assessment based on that. So if they make an assessment that's different to the original policy and therefore give you an exclusion where otherwise you didn't have it, do you really want to save, you know, 6% or 3% per year? Now you've got a mental health exclusion that makes up 27% but it's, of but clients. But it's cheaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I should say yeah more, but so, speak with your advisor. Yeah, it's, it's just a matter of reviewing, increasing your cover or decreasing your cover if and when needed. It's not a matter of going... I'm going through my super fund and I'll just move, you know, every super fund and move the insurance as well every few and, years. And it's a good a good thing to realise as well, once you get to a fully funded emergency fund, you might ask the team at Sky, oh, hey, I've had this policy for two years now on a 30-day income protection wait. I've got a fully funded emergency fund now. Can you let me know how much a 90-day waiting period would be? Start to self-insure the first 90 days of a claim. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big and that's thing what I do. doing. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're yeah. moving a lot of those policies across. And there's a whole bunch of life changes. It's just a matter of reaching back out to your advisor if you've set it up elsewhere or we'll come back to us and talk about what's changed. More of a um, thought leadership award 2024, Glenn James, with insurances. <laughs> You'd almost think they should ditch the 30-day wait and just have a 90-day because insurances and particularly income insurance and TBD, it's for long-term disability. But sure, that doesn't help if it's, you're off work in the eighth week and you're out of money. I get that. I'm just like philosophically. Well, it's interesting. A lot of insurers are actually going the opposite. They're, so Australian Super, they don't offer a 90-day waiting period anymore. They only offer 30 or 60. Yeah. So you can't get that extended waiting period, which is really odd. I thought my team was wrong about it. But and they're actually starting to cap those long-term benefits. You know why? Because insurance companies make money on those shorter claims. Like there's a lot of claims on those short periods, but they, they charge a big premium for that short waiting period. And they pay most of their money out on long-term claims. So they want to try and cap those long-term claims at, at the policy inception. Actually, we were going to talk about it before. You just need to check, and this is why you need to go to a financial advisor to set up your income protection and your TPD cover, because what happens, Philip, if someone goes on income protection claim and they've got a a fund with group insurance with TPD cover? So your question is, what happens if you're on income protection and your TPD as well? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'm just trying to work out where you're leading me. Um, so... The, I think I said it the wrong way around. You did, but that's okay. I'm, I'm there. That's so okay. Sometimes good boy. Some, ins- some default super providers, um, one of the biggest in Australia just changed it in May last year, where if the date of your disability is the same time, so if you're on income protection claim and then you become disabled, you can get paid out both. But if that date of disablement is exactly the same as the time at which you're eligible for income protection, they will not pay your income protection. They just pay your disability insurance out. So it's kind of one or the other in that case. And so that's why you may go, well, we've got all this cover, I've got disability, got income protection, but there may be scenarios where you don't get paid out any of them. The other thing is like with, you know, super funds, 
they um, they've got a legal um, requirement not to pay out any income protection if at the date of your disability you weren't working, so you're not gainfully employed. So there are times where it just if you're out of work and not gainfully employed, then or you took a six month off with taking the kids around Australia. Correct. Yeah, you're not. I'll get a new employed. job when I get back. Yeah. You don't get paid anything when retail cover, yeah. even if it's still fully funded through super. Um, yeah, they'll pay it. They actually pay it, yeah, just mm. based on your last 12 months of income. Yeah. Well, we might leave it there. I told the team I'll I'll stop trying to go over an hour with the episodes because they just get too long to edit and too long and all that. So thanks so much, everyone, for listening. This is the reminder you needed to get a policy for you and your family. Phil, uh, where can people go if they want Sky Wealth to help them? Yeah, just skye.com.au. Just go on the website. There's a book in a phone call link all over the place. Um, so just book in a phone call with at any time. It's basically five days a week. One of the advisors will be able to have a chat to you. Awesome. Thanks everyone for listening. My name's Glenn James. We'll see you soon. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 